So turn uh, back with me, please, to our, our passage in Song of Songs. And we'll come to consider a few more applications in our passage. I won't give the introduction that I, I did early. I think we've, uh, we've already established our, our view of the passage and how to approach it. Well, let's come once again, and, and this time in the reading of the chapter, we're going to focus a little more of our attention on the second half of the chapter. So some of the, the principles that come out in, in the later portion, because to be able to pursue Christ, we want to pursue the things that Christ himself is pursuing. And there are a couple of clues in this chapter. So please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy and inspired and inerrant word as it is before us in Song of Songs, chapter 3. By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the broad ways, I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth. It was but a little that I passed from them, that I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him. And I would not let him go, until I had brought him into my mother's house, and into the chamber of her that conceived me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness, like pillars of smoke, and perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the powders of the merchant? Behold, his bed, which is Solomon's, threescore valiant men are about it, of the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man hath his sword upon his thigh because of fear in the night. King Solomon made himself a chariot of wood of Lebanon. He made the pillars thereof of silver, the bottom thereof of gold, and the covering of it of purple the midst thereof being paved with love for the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O ye daughters of Zion, and behold King Solomon with the crown wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousals and in the day of the gladness of his heart. We are thankful for the reading of God's word as we find our promise in Isaiah Chapter 55, a blessing promised upon us as we approach the word. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please 
and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Let's go once more ask for the Lord's blessing here. Father, we've come now and ask that you would help us in the reading of this word, that it would be applied faithfully, and that the Lord Jesus would be exalted. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, I recall a somewhat embarrassing story, uh, uh, but I was young, so we can do embarrassing things when we're young. I was probably around seven or eight years old, and I, I made a, a public profession of faith when I was eight years old. So I don't remember if this came before or after. I guess in my memory, it probably was before. So at, at one point, in, I had gone to bed, and I, I woke up suddenly, and I was afraid. And I, I went to find uh, my parents and my brother and what's going on? You know, I don't know if I heard a noise or what, but it was really odd. It felt like it was the middle of the night. And, and I got up and I looked and all of a sudden all of the lights in the house were on. It was really strange. So uh, I started to look around and everyone was gone. And I, I didn't know where everyone had gone. And of course, I was had been raised in... Uh, dispensational Arminian rapture theology, and this was the day. Uh, I couldn't find anybody, and of course, in my limited scope of the world, everybody was gone, and I was scared to death. So I looked around the house and and began to panic and uh, didn't know what to do, and so I I ran out the front door uh, of, of our house, and all of a sudden, I realized, well, there's my mom. She was talking to the neighbor at the fence, and everything was fine. But I remember in that moment, it sticks out to me all of these years later, of being absolutely and completely terrified because I had been left behind. I mean, that was, that was the theology that I was raised in, and that was what had just happened. And uh, as I said, I don't recall if this was before or after, I did make a public profession, but it, it, it scared the, the wits out of me. And uh, so I, wanted, I thought that that story had come to my mind this week because it, as we pursue Christ and we want to, to see how uh, we ought to, to please the Lord, we need to pursue Christ with, with knowledge. And when we, we perceive that Christ has left us, if, if, we, if we do so in a panic, without good theology, without a, a foundation uh, that we talked about this morning, then we can begin to try to solve the problems in all kinds of, of crazy and, and wild ways. Uh, I had no answer at that point because I had no theological foundation. And, you know, it's also a little kid. So, uh, but I didn't, I didn't have the wisdom of how to solve the problem. We approached our passage this morning this is, a, this is a pretty heavy passage in the sense that we, we were dealing with Christ departing from us. This is hard. This is a hard time. These are hard times when these things happen. And so we want to be able to, to, to approach the problem when we have silence from heaven, when we have a time of spiritual deadness, when we have a, a time of confusion about uh, our soul. Confusion about our, our salvation. We're asking questions. We want to be able to be able to follow the right path. And so the way that I would propose that we do that here is to look at the rest of our chapter and look at some of the ways that we, if, if we're going to pursue Christ, then our approach is 
why wouldn't I pursue Christ in the way that Christ is pursuing Christ? You see, Christ, our Lord Jesus, is, is doing certain things. He is following after a certain pathway. And so like the woman in our passage who knew where to look for the Lord Jesus, I want to be able to know where to look for the Lord Jesus in these difficult times. I, I don't want to have to run out the front door screaming. I want to be able to make, uh, to make decisions with knowledge. And so this morning we did consider this perfect pursuit. We looked at the, the ultimate things in life that we ought to be pursuing. We looked at our, our love and our passion for the Lord Jesus. And we found that this passage is a good one to, to put this under the microscope, if you would. We, we also realize that oftentimes our, our passion for the Lord Jesus may, uh, may grow cold over time. And we need to evaluate and we need uh, to see that if we do wake up and the Lord Jesus has gone, how would we pursue him? What is our answer? What is our approach? Well, we, we did say then, just in a way of quick summary, that our, our pursuit of the Lord Jesus ought to be with knowledge, with love, with faith, and that Christ must be relentlessly pursued, nothing can stand in the way, zealously pursued, and what was one of our primary applications as well? We must lawfully pursue Christ. And so when we put those things together, these are the marks of wisdom. These are the marks of a stable soul that knows how to enter into the valley of the shadow of death, that knows how to enter into a period of, of silence from heaven. I, I want to be that. I want to know what Christ expects of me. And our approach in Song of Solomon, Song of Songs 3, was that the Lord Jesus expects us to continue pursuing him in these times of silence. We continue to pursue. And that's our, our approach. Um, and yet what we, we quickly learn in life is that it, it's very, it's exceedingly difficult to maintain something very intense for a very long period of time. Usually when we're, when we're really intense with something, we'll, we'll flame out for a little while and then we cool down. We'll flame a little longer and then we cool down. So the, the Christian life tends to be an up and down, and we would like to approach this more uh, with, with wisdom and care so that we are always fervently and passionately in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very difficult for us to maintain strong passion for long, sustained periods of time. So what we, we focused on this morning then is, is we've, we saw the model. We see what's happening in the passage and we want to follow that. Well, let's turn our attention a little bit into the second portion here. And we're going to see some of the things that the, the spouse of uh, the woman, we would see this as the Lord Jesus, some of the things that he is doing in this chapter. Okay? So I, I'm, I'm particularly amazed here as we, 
We do want to look back at some of our earlier verses. Look at, look at verse 1 again, because I think that this is our, our jumping off point for the rest of the chapter. Look at verse 1 with me. By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. So for some of our applications here, we want to ask a question. Where is Jesus? Where is Christ in verse 1? And we talked about some of the things, some applications and some truths of this passage, but where is the Lord Jesus here? And I think a central key point to make in the passage is we don't know. But what do we know about Christ? We know that He is perfect and good and holy and just, and that He is always in the right place at the right time. He is always doing the right thing in the right way. And so if He isn't here then whatever it is that he is doing in this particular word picture that we see in Song of Songs 3, it must be good and it must be right because we read these wonderful passages in God's word like Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, uh, which is uh, interesting because someone's looking for Jesus here. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? So the Lord is about his business. And then in John chapter 15, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide by my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So the overwhelming message we get from the gospel picture of Christ's ministry is that he has a particular place to be. And often the disciples are completely confused. So that's a good picture of us. We are confused when we awake in the bed and Christ is gone. And so we need then to have this focus that there is a divine will at, at play. But too often, what is our first response? Whenever things don't go our way, whenever we look around and Christ is gone, whenever there's trouble, whenever there's a darkness, whenever there's anything goes wrong, then it's panic. It's it's what is God doing, it's confusion, it's blame, rather than a focus upon the will of God. God's will is bigger than us. These are, uh, I feel silly saying these things to myself, but I need to realize that God's will is including all things. I'm a small part of that. Do you think it's possible? I want you to think through the passage with me. Do you think it's possible that when we panic, when Christ seems to be apart from us, that that is pride taking over? You think that that is possible, that we have completely forgotten that there are other things going on in the world? Maybe it's a time of war. Maybe bad things or terrible things happening in our country, and, and we think that, the, that Christ has abandoned us, but it's a part of, of God's will for a, a, a country to be at war. For that particular time in history, God has not abandoned us. This is a part of his plan. And so I, I want us to think through this particular principle here. There's a reason why Christ is not where he is expected in verse 1. Because the woman is not sovereign. The woman only knows her world. The church only knows its particular place in that particular moment in time. But what does Christ know? Christ knows all, 
and is about the business of protecting all of the church and ruling over all things. And so it's very easy for us to get into this, this idea that, that Christ is only about me or Christ is only about my church. During the moment of silence, don't begin to assume you've been abandoned. But that moment of silence has purpose in your Christian walk. Don't assume that Christ has lost his love for you. We fall back on our knowledge of, of Christ in these particular moments. Now, if we begin to think sinful thoughts about Christ, then we only reveal that we don't know him very well. So these are challenges for us. If we think that Christ's love for us has gone, sometimes that's a perfect place for Satan to plant seeds. And so in that we begin to be resentful. We begin to be confused in our Christian walk when all that is happening is something bigger in God's will. Uh, The larger catechism question 54 is the one that I put for you here. In a worship order, I think this is a really good one to consider all of the things that the Lord Jesus is about doing right now. Look at our question, 54. How is Christ exalted and is sitting at the right hand of God? Christ is exalting, exalted in his sitting at the right hand of God in that as God-man, he is advanced to the highest favor with God the Father, with all fullness of joy and glory and power over all things in heaven and earth. We need to remember we're a small part of all of the work of the Lord Jesus. We are a small part and does not or does gather and defend the church. We're also a very small part of the church. There are things happening all around the world that we can never even fathom uh, the extent of the, of the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus and taking care of his people. And he is, he is pursuing this. He is uh, doing his will in the midst of all of our silences from heaven. And he wants uh, here as well to subdue their enemies, to furnish his ministers and people with gifts and graces, and maketh intercession for them. So this is a very full-orbed, short description of all of the work that the Lord Jesus is doing and all of the things that, that, resolve, that revolve around his will. And I think that that's something that we tend to forget, especially considering that there's so much of God's word is about revealing the will of God. And so let's make just a couple of, of, of uh, applications before we move on. Because I think this is a beautiful example for all Christians in our particular time. In the pursuit of Christ, we, we need to truly desire his will. What is it when we complain that he has abandoned us? We've forgotten his will. And so we need to be thoughtful of that. Uh, there are a couple of clues here in our passage that we'll look at here in, in just a moment. But for now, we need to remember that the will of God is a very essential part of pursuing Christ. If we are to pursue Christ, then we must pursue the will of Christ. And we are secondary. We are uh, uh, a small part of that. So another thing to look at then, as we come to look at his nature in a moment, is the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the sovereignty of God, I remember that being a very frightening thing uh, when I first discovered it as a young Christian. Uh, the sovereignty of God uh, sounds really great, but as you start to explore it, you start to realize how, how horrifying it is, really, that you have so little control over anything in the world. Uh, now, I find comfort in it now. It's a wonderful thing because I, I realize that I have no ability on my own to do anything. But at, at certain point in my life, it was, it was a, an awful concept that I couldn't wrap my brain around. So we need to be a people who pursue Christ in the way that Christ pursues his will. Interestingly, some Christians pr- struggle with God's will more than others. You ever notice that? I mean, I don't know where you fall on the spectrum, but some people, yeah, little point fingers, but some people are really, really control freaks, right? They have to have everything under control. And people like that struggle with the idea of divine control. But then sometimes, somewhere along the line in your Christian walk, you get to the point where you realize, I'm glad I'm not in control. I'm glad that God is in control. So where you fall on that spectrum might uh, might influence how that you understand and uh, apply this particular point. God's word is the standard for us and how we know his will. How do we know how to light our, our feet or light our path? In Psalm 119, as uh, we've seen here today, that word is a lamp unto my feet and a, a light unto my path. This is the will of God, what is revealed. And so that, that what is revealed ought to be the way we pursue Christ. So this, this is a, a principle that we're going to see over and over in this particular chapter. First of all, God's will is ultimate. Uh, God's will is good. God's will is sovereign. It is perfect. And my will is limited. And these things are, are the things that we struggle against. A second principle here, I do want to spend a little bit more time uh, with the next couple of principles. The second one is his own nature. Look with me at verse 5. In verse 5 of our, our chapter, we see then that the, uh, the woman, as she, as she is account re- doing the account here in chapter 3, she says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose, by the hinds of the field, that you stir him not, nor awake my love until he please. So you see, as the woman is pursuing Christ, she is concerned for his will. She is concerned for his nature. She is concerned for his, who he is and, and how to please him. And so we need to be a people, as we pursue Christ, that, to also pursue his nature. How do we pursue Christ's nature? By looking to his will, by considering his sovereignty. When we look back to verse 1, By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him but I found him not. And so our question has been then, where is Christ? What is he doing? He is pursuing his will. He is pursuing his nature. And so whatever it is for Christ to be doing or doing in that particular moment, he is doing that to perfection. And so uh, let's take a couple of, just, just making one application, the, the holiness uh, of the Lord Jesus. You see, Christ isn't, isn't pursuing holiness like we would pursue holiness. He is holy, 
and perfectly holy. But for you and I, we're not thinking about Christ's holiness in that particular moment when we feel abandoned. But we ought to turn and consider the attributes of God in the application of pursuing Christ to think through our limitations and to think through his superior nature, who he is. And we grow closer to the Lord Jesus as we consider who he is. The the law of God is another important aspect here. What is the law of God? And we would understand the law of God as being a perfect outworking of Christ's nature. Christ is the author of the law. And so then the law, what the law does is a part of the law, is it reveals God to us, who he is, is a perfect outworking of his nature. And so we would say then that um, now Christ isn't, wasn't pursuing the law in the same way as we do because we stumble and fall along the way and he is incapable of sin. But the law is a way that we can pursue pleasing Christ. Christian, today do you desire to pursue Christ? Then pursue his nature, pursue the law. I find this fascinating. What has happened to the law in the church in our time? The law has been pretty much cast away. It's not a popular topic. And so this is one of the things that has happened in the modern church is, is we no longer pursue Christ in the way of the things that, that reveal his nature. And that's what happens with the law. I, I think the perfect example here, just for the sake of time, is the Sabbath day. If we want to pursue Christ, we pursue the things that reveal Christ, that are lawfully given. And the Sabbath is a beautiful part of that because the Sabbath is, is the fourth commandment. And we, we see then as well that the Sabbath has largely been discarded in our time. So many Christians see no, no need. But we ought to see the Sabbath as being one of the ways that we can pursue after Christ. And we want that, that fervent love, that passion for the Lord Jesus. How about a fervent passion for the Lord's Day? And if you pursue the Lord's Day and labor toward the Lord's Day and love the Lord's Day, then you are drawing nearer to Christ in that particular example because that's what Christ is pursuing. So, I, And I want us to kind of walk through that. and You can make a lot of applications to that. Uh, verse five, uh, verse five also comes up. Uh, maybe some some clues because we're seeing the the sovereignty of Christ. We're seeing um, that the Lord Jesus, uh, the the church is asking, don't don't disturb him until he pleases. We're concerned with his will and the passion of the bride. The bride wants to please Christ in this particular chapter. And I love the word pictures that are here over uh, and over the majesty of the Lord Jesus. Let's continue that thought. Okay, so we've talked about then the will of Christ, and we've talked about the nature of Christ. Let's talk about the offices of Christ, because I think that this may be, this, this might be something a little bit easier to grasp hold of. Um, so in verse 1, by night on my bed, I sought... Him whom my soul loveth, I sought him, but I found him not. What's our question? Where's Jesus? What is Jesus doing in this particular moment 
when the church is slumbering. We're making that application. Then Christ is out in this visual. He is out in the streets doing his work. And he is doing his work diligently and faithfully and perfectly while the church sleeps. And see, that's, that's a pretty powerful example if you stop and think about again, again, run a little bit with the imagery that Christ is about the business of doing his or, or diligently going after and pursuing his offices. So if I awaken and Christ has departed and I find myself in a spiritual slumber, I'm trying to figure out what has happened. Where is the Lord Jesus? Where has he strayed? What can I do? One of my first thoughts should be then to pursue Christ in the way that he is pursuing his offices. And what are the offices of the Lord Jesus? Prophet, priest, and king. And so how can I pursue Christ in his office of prophet? His revelation to me. As we want to pursue Christ, we would then dive into the word. Priest. What is Christ doing as priest? He is saving in his people. He is interceding for them. So we would dive into then prayer. We dive into those things that highlight the, the priestly work of the Lord Jesus. How is Christ acting now as our king? He's sovereign over all things. So his will is at play there again. So these are ways that we can dive in. So I want to take just a few minutes here of the sermon and, and look at these offices of Christ and think about some applications. What is a quick application? Pursuing Christ means pursuing Christ like Christ pursues Christ. And Christ is pursuing his offices. And I need to be concerned about that in those particular moments of quiet from heaven. Um, larger Catechism, question 43. How did Christ execute the office of a prophet. So here's some of the ways that we can pursue Christ. Christ executed the office of a prophet in his revealing to the church in all ages by his spirit and word in diverse ways of administration, the whole will of God in all things concerning their edification and salvation. So the more I learn, the more I study, the more uh, through catechism and the confession, the more I learn about this work of Christ, the more I am drawing nearer to him in his work. That's what I need to be about the business of doing in a time of spiritual slumber, is focusing on the work of Christ. Larger catechism question 44, along those same lines, how did the Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executed the office of a priest and is once offering himself a sacrifice without spot to God, to be reconciliation for the sins of his people, and in making continual intercession for them. So, we want to pursue Christ, a time of spiritual slumber, then we ought to focus our attention on the intercession of Christ as priest. So here is a time of intense prayer. Question for you. When you're confused, spiritually cold, distant, and you feel far from heaven, do you want to pray or do you want to not pray? I'm kind of fascinated with that because I've been through different periods in my own life with this, so speaking um, from my own history. 
There have been times in my Christian walk where I had no interest in praying. And I'm confused by that. You know, I, I, I guess because if you're, if you're angry with God or if you're confused by, by what has happened when God withdraws himself, when the Lord Jesus uh, isn't there, then would we want to skip praying? Or would this be a time when we ought to want to pray more intensely in those times? What's your response? What do you tend to do when you feel a, a spiritual coldness or a spiritual draft? You, you, you're confused about the world and things aren't going the way they should. Are, do you tend to pray more or do you tend to pray less? I think this is a fascinating question because it tends to get to the heart of how we respond in moments like Song of Solomon 3. Do you pray more or do you pray less? To answer the question will have to do with your view of prayer. Right? It sh- what about worship? Let's make another application for worship. When you're in those difficult times, do you want to worship more? Or do you find something else to do and you want to worship less? You need to answer that question because that question will get to the heart of how you will solve your spiritual difficulties. How you will pursue Christ in times of spiritual silence. And I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on that because I've been, I guess, all around, all around on that. But we need to be in a place then where what is happening in Song of Solomon 3? There's more prayer. There's more worship. There's more intensity. There's a pursuit of Christ in those times because there's a desire to see the offices of the Lord Jesus fulfilled. There's a desire to see his will fulfilled. There's a desire to see him. And to get to him, you go through his offices. So I I feel like that there's a lot of application here that we don't really have time to get to. What happens, though, if our theology is poor? What happens to those who have really, really poor theology? Then they, 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 they struggle with Christ as prophet, for example. So uh, sometimes people would say things like, well, uh, uh, maybe, maybe a Pentecostal-type movement would be to go toward, uh, I don't necessarily understand what's written, but I'm going to add to the Word of God. You see, some Christians go in that direction, where... Christ is prophet, great, but what about all the stuff that I say? And then sometimes Christians, maybe maybe a little bit more our leaning, when we don't like something in the Bible, we go in this direction where we want to take it out of the Bible. right? So instead of worshiping in the way that Christ has given us the instruction for, like by singing psalms, for example, let's, let's go over this way and take those out of the Bible. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see the ways that we respond in these particular times. If our theology is not sound, then we'll try to solve the problem with all kinds of, of deviant ways, either taking away or adding to the word of God. Christ's prophetic work is lost. What about us as priest? Christ's priestly work. Well, the, the priestly work also tends to kind of bore people. Right? They, they, they want to be saved, but 
They want to add things to that salvation. They, they want to add their own works. And the vast majority of Christianity distorts the priestly work of the Lord Jesus. So how can I, in a time of spiritual silence, pursue the Lord Jesus by adding to his work? The proper pursuit of Christ is to pursue his offices in their purity as prophet, priest, and king. And then the the same thing that we could say um, as king, then that we would pursue the Lord's offices in their perfection. But too often we don't look at the kingship of the Lord Jesus, and that isn't a comforting thing to us. Look with me at verse uh, 7. Kind of fascinated by this particular part. You see, as the story is being told, the narrative, it says, Behold his bed, which is Solomon's, three score valiant men are about it of the valiant of Israel. So what's, what's happening in our passage here? What is happening here? In verse 7 and 8, Christ is protecting his church. And which office of Christ would this fall under the protection of the church? We see the kingly work of the Lord Jesus. He is valiantly protecting his church. So he gathers his defenders about the bed. And that church then is protected. The church is guarded. She is precious. And so um, one of our applications would be then in this moment of despair, when all seems lost, when it seems that Christ has abandoned, Christ is not abandoning the defense of his church. And if you know your beloved the way that you ought to know your beloved, you know he has not abandoned you. You know that he is still defending his church. And that's what we're reading in uh, verses 7 through 11. Seems like he is far away. Maybe he has spiritually withdrawn. But he is very near to you in his work as prophet, priest, and king. When Christ is withdrawn, he is still your prophet. You go to the word. When Christ is withdrawn, he is still your priest. You're not unsaved. When Christ has withdrawn, he is still your king and he is still defending you. So do you see how that can be comforting? If, if I'm in a period of spiritual silence from heaven, it's not like Jesus clocked out and he's no longer doing those things. I find comfort in that. In a time of spiritual trial, I want to lean on this. I want to lean on what Jesus is doing. I don't think the woman in verse 1 is doing that. She, she's panicking a bit. Now, we've already given discussion of that, and we've noted that she changes course, and she begins the intensive search, which we would say from our passage by way of application is the proper lawful means of grace through the officers of the church to find the Lord Jesus. That's our summary of the chapter. But at first... She's probably not doing that. So be careful, Christian, in your Christian walk. And that when you experience that time of silence from heaven, pursue the Lord Jesus in his offices, and you will find great comfort. Now, the, um, the application that we, we, we want to make then is that we can distort those things, 
But let's remember the offices of the Lord Jesus. I love uh, the Westminster annotations here on this particular, these verses. It says that Christ not only forbids men to disturb the rest of his spouse, but also he sets his angels about her to guard her as she here confesses. So you see, that's what's happening in this chapter is that the Lord Jesus is defending his church. He loves the church, even though he had withdrawn from her, possibly for her disobedience. So don't think that Christ no longer loves you. Don't think that Christ has abandoned you. But we do this. I know I've had these thoughts before that because a proper view of humility before the Lord is, is why would the Lord love me, right? I mean, David does this in the Psalms. What is man that you're mindful of him? Well, we don't want to carry that too far to begin to think that he shouldn't because he does love us and he is with us. And uh, uh, that's for our last point that I want to cover here this afternoon is that Christ is also then pursuing his people. So Christ is pursuing uh, the will of God. Christ is pursuing his own nature. Christ is pursuing his offices. And Christ is pursuing his people. And, and that's exactly what is happening in our chapter here. In verse 1, By night on my bed I sought him whom I so loveth, I sought him, but I found him not. Just because we may not find the Lord Jesus in this particular moment, it doesn't mean that he is no longer pursuing the church. I think these things need to kind of sink in as we think through what's happening in those moments. Christ being absent will never mean that he has abandoned me or that he has let me fall from his grasp. Because he has a larger church that I'm a part of. Christian, when you begin to, to think that you're all alone and that uh, Christ has, has left you, maybe he has withdrawn for a season. But it's helpful to dwell upon the fact that he has already obtained you. He has already captured you. You are already his. And so he will not leave you behind. Uh, our question 54 uh, that we've looked at already. How is Christ exalted in his sitting at the right hand of God? Christ is exalted in his sitting at the right hand of God and that the, as the God-man, he is advanced to the highest favor with God the Father with all the fullness of joy, glory, and power over all things in heaven and earth. He does gather and defend the church. Don't forget that Christ is gathering and defending the church. If, if there's silence from heaven, that doesn't change that. I've, I'm thankful that in the kind of bizarre theology that I grew up, uh, it was funny. We were, we were really, we were really Arminian uh, in our thought process growing up. But there was one group of people that was always way off the scale, way too weird that we would never go down that road. And that were those people who thought you could use, lose your salvation. Now that, at least in the camp that I grew up in, that was unthinkable. And so, it, which is interesting because many Arminians believe that. But in our theology, we, we made a decision and then we were safe forever and we couldn't lose it. So uh, as confusing as that is, um, it, it did provide at least 
a bit of a foundation for me to have some security early on that I was not going to lose my salvation. Well, um, that's something that we need to remember then as Reformed people. We are more comfortable with that, but many Christian uh, groups, many Christian uh, camps struggle with Christ keeping his people. They don't have that assurance. And, and I feel very sorry for Christians who, who believe that their salvation comes and goes every day. How do you have any foundation at all? Our Lord Jesus perfectly pursues his people. Our Lord Jesus is the perfect good shepherd. All of the sheep are gathered and all of the sheep are kept. That truth doesn't change when there's silence from heaven. So keep, keep these thought, thoughts before you in those moments of, of, of spiritual darkness. Christ pursuing is in the ultimate example for us, right? He, he pursues his people. He will not abandon them. And so that, that's a, an example of that, of that relentless pursuit that the Christian ought to have toward Christ. Remember our passage here where we talked about how uh, she grasps the Lord and she will not let him go, right? Now, now theologically, Christ is holding on to her and he will not let her go. So we know that our being, our holding to Christ is not based on the strength of our grasp. But there's still a beauty in it, isn't there? there? There's still a beauty in the idea that we are clinging to Christ with our very life. And, and if I would slip from that, I would be in despair. And the, the horror of the idea of being apart from the Lord Jesus often escapes us. I don't think we dwell on that as we should. And this passage is a good one to remind you where you would be without Christ. And maybe that's one of the reasons why sometimes our passion slips a little bit as well. He's holding on to us. We get a little complacent. We forget the glory and the wonder of that. So that's an important exercise for us to, to remember uh, what the Lord Jesus has done to attain my salvation. He has given his own life that I might be saved. In fact, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, are evidence of the great zeal that the Lord Jesus has to gather his people. You're familiar with the passage. Listen to it once again. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So there's an expansive glory to Christ gathering the church, right? Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Just, just a, the, the scope of, of the Great Commission is beautiful to read. That's Christ's zeal to gather his people. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This is beautiful. The Great Commission is something we just tend to not think much about, but it's an evidence of Christ's zeal to gather all of us together, and that's a source of hope when we're pursuing Christ. If I want to pursue Christ, why wouldn't I also pursue him in this way? 
And yet how often is the Great Commission something that we hardly ever think about? We ought to be involved with mission work. We ought to be involved with preaching the gospel and spreading the word of God all over the world. Those are zealous, beautiful ways that we can can walk nearer and nearer to Christ. It's the gospel. The Great Commission is the gospel going out to the world. And if I, if I feel called spiritually, I need to dive into the means of grace. Why wouldn't I dive into the Great Commission? Maybe one of the reasons I feel, I feel spiritually called is because I just spent the last 10 years of my life selfishly thinking only about myself. That's a pretty good recipe for being spiritually cold. When the Lord Jesus gives us the model of being concerned for all of his people and gathering them into the church. Presbyterianism is another beautiful way that the Lord Jesus gathers his people, right? The divine form of church government. And yet how many people neglect church government from uh, here and there and all around the world? People govern the church in all kinds of different ways. But the Bible only has one way. There's only one divine form of church government in Acts chapter 15, and that is Presbyterianism. If we want to draw near to Christ and we want to pursue him, why wouldn't we pursue his form of government? The same for worship. There's only one way to worship God. There are only... And that is the way that is in his word. But in all around the world, there are hundreds of different ways that people worship Christ. We have a Psalter that's given to us, a lawful way to worship, and nothing else is ever given. If we want to pursue Christ, let's pursue worship like Christ has given to us in his word. And we will walk nearer and nearer to him if we pursue the things that he is pursuing. Preaching of the gospel is another example. Uh, this is one of the, the precious things about preaching is it's, it's Christ gathering his people. Uh, preaching is a beautiful, beautiful thing that sometimes we can take, take or leave, right? But, but preaching is a central part of Christ's work. And it's a central part of gathering the people, God's people. Christ is zealous for this and he is zealous for gospel preaching When I feel silence from heaven, where do I go? How about preaching? How about more preaching? Maybe that's one of the reasons I have silence from heaven. I'm not listening and and applying and loving the word of God as it it flows over me in the preaching of the word. It's easy to get cold to preaching. But preaching is central to Christ's work. We are being showered with the gospel So whenever we feel alone or abandoned by Christ, we don't withdraw from the church. We go to the church. We go to worship. We go to the form of church government. We go to the preaching of the gospel and to the ordinary means of grace. One last one for our time. What about church discipline? Church discipline. Church discipline is one of the ways that the Lord Jesus is pursuing his people. Now, we're, this is hard. This is hard to get through our heads, my head especially. But church discipline is beautiful. Church discipline is for the gathering of the saints. And what do we think? Church discipline's kicking people out of the church. So we have this negative outgoing view of discipline, but, but 
discipline is more than kicking people out of church. Discipline is gathering Christ's people in a careful way. Discipline is used by Christ then as a way that we can pursue Him. But what happens most often is that people discard church discipline. Church, there are church planting manuals all over the world. Very few of them ever say anything about church discipline. But that's not the way you grow a church. You grow the church by flinging the doors open, relaxing the standards, preaching what you want, and making people happy. That's, that's the general goal. Not, not preaching God's law. Not preaching sin. Those things are, are unpopular. And so when we begin to preach sin, we're preaching to sinners because we are all sinners and we must deal with what happens when we disobey. And so church discipline is a part of that. Uh, the chief end of church discipline is then to regain wayward sheep, to gather those who are truly his, but to cut away those who would then bring harm to the church. Christ is zealously gathering his people through a church that is properly practicing church discipline. I'll say it in a little bit of a different way. A church that is not practicing church discipline is not pursuing Christ because it's not pursuing Christ like Christ is pursuing his people. So there are, there are a number of applications in here. A right understanding of the Christian life is before you in Song of Songs chapter 3. I'll give you a, a parting way to, if you want to look at this chapter more, then do it in this way. Pursue Christ in thought, word, and deed. Pursue Christ in the home, in the church, in the state, and pursue Christ in death. And so those are all separate sermons. But you can see that all of those are particular points that we need to, to understand in pursuing Him. How many, how many Christians um, don't pursue Christ in the home? How popular is family worship, for example? Isn't, isn't family worship a pretty good measurement of the spiritual depth of a home? Kind of is, you know. So if we're not seeing then the, the home isn't pursuing Christ, then why would we be surprised when children grow up and go away and none of them ever pursue Christ? Pursue Christ in every avenue, in every way, in every possible way. Whatever your career is, whatever your goals are, whatever you produce on a daily basis, whatever thing you make, all of those things are a way to bring glory to the Lord Jesus. If you spend your day making furniture, you can pursue Christ in that because you can bring glory to Him in every single thing that you touch during the day. And that's part of the problem is we think that, well, pursuing Christ is a little avenue over here on one day a week. But you can pursue Christ all the time in everything you do, every moment of life. And then finally, we come to the time when we must die. We pursue Christ in our death. Well, today, my friend, if you are apart from the Lord Jesus, you're, you're just pursuing all the wrong things. And there's no purpose to anything that you do in life if you are apart from Christ. But what Christ gives us as his children is then every single thing has purpose. 
Now the world has meaning in a way that it never had before. And I can get up and go to work tomorrow and I have to, if I have to spend my whole day making widgets, then I'll do it to Christ's glory. And people will see my zeal for the Lord Jesus in every little thing that I do. That's our approach here to the passage. If you are apart from the Lord Jesus, you have no part in the glory of the Lord Jesus as we read in this chapter. Christ is the only way of salvation and eternal life. And apart from him, the only future that you have in this world and in the next is death and eternal damnation. Hear the word of the living God. And we want then to make a final application of the sermon today and our, uh, the sermon this morning. Our, our ability to pursue Christ is flawed because we're sinful. So let's be thoughtful of our nature. And if, if we have that time of spiritual decline, then, then run out into the streets and pursue after Christ in the right way as we see in the passage before us. And never stop. Pursue your whole life, and we will be together with the Lord. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father in heaven, we pray that you would grant to us a more fervent love for the Lord Jesus above all things on earth. We pray that we would pursue him with the passion that the Lord Jesus pursues his own will. We pray that you would help us to pursue the Lord Jesus in the way that he pursues his nature and his offices of prophet and priest and king. And Father, what an encouragement it is to see the Lord Jesus zealously pursuing his people. May our pursuit in some small way find encouragement and hope in the pursuit of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.